Some of our members are small business owners, and they know the secret to success is usually just that, a secret. So we built American Express Open Forum, an online community that helps our members connect and share ideas to make smart business decisions. We built this for our members, but we made it open for everyone. Connect at openforum.com. This is what membership is. This is what membership does. All of the podcasts here at the Sideshow Network are now at the touch of a button on your iPhone and iPad. With the new Sideshow Network app, tune into all your favorite podcasts here at the Sideshow Network. Go to iTunes App Store, search for Sideshow Network, and download our free app to stream all of your favorite Sideshow Network podcasts at any time you want. The top comedians in the world are at your fingertips with the Sideshow Network app for iPhone and iPad. Welcome, everybody, to another installment of Innovation Crush. Innovation Crush. I bet you didn't even know he was going to do an, an echo like that. I didn't. Uh, it's, yeah, that's all, that's all pre-written and, and rehearsed. <laughs> uh, that was Robert Donez Jr., everybody. Um, me. My name is Chris Denson, and uh, if you haven't listened to this show before, you should know that it is called Innovation Crush, and we talk to a lot of... Awesome innovators, people behind really great projects, great thinking, uh, just kind of whatever we can find around the world and uh, and under my bed. Um, but that's a whole other episode. <laughs> um, so today with us, we have a gentleman by the name of Hame Watt. Do you want to say hello, Hame? Hello, everybody. All right. Wow, your, your radio voice almost sounds sounds better than Robert's. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> Mine's really bad. Yours is good. Yeah. Um, Hamei, what, what, uh, tell me about that name. My father's from Senegal in West Africa, and uh, it's his name. Ah, so nice. Pretty basic. Are you a third? Are you second? Are you? I'm technically you're, you're technically neither. a first of who you are, but yeah, to be a junior, <laughs> I'd have to have the same middle name. You have a different middle name, so got it. Yeah. All right, so Hamei Watt, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'll, I'll spare a botched introduction and let you okay. do it, and then we can. You know, dive deeper a little bit. Okay. So I'm an entrepreneur and investor in uh, hopefully disruptive technology companies. I founded a company a couple of years ago, one called BeLife, which is a, a mobile uh, wellness platform focused on psychological fitness, we're calling or mind fitness. Uh, another company called MoviePass, which is the first subscription business for movies in the theatrical window. And I recently joined LA's largest venture capital firm as a partner, uh, a venture partner, and that firm is called Upfront Ventures. So, you, so you're pretty busy. I am busy. <laughs> so um, all innovators are busy, aren't we? I, I guess so. Yeah, your your mind's always running. Yeah. That's, so that's why the, the the mental fitness part of the game is, is it, it comes deep. in handy. So exactly. t- tell me a bit a little bit about that. Like where did the, where did that idea come from, and what what does it what does mental fitness mean? Yeah. So I've been fascinated with the brain for a long time, and in, in, in previous companies, mostly ad related companies, I got excited about consumer psychology and you know how people make purchase decisions. And when I had the opportunity to think about what I want to do next, I was working with a, a good friend of mine, a guy named Paul Campbell. And uh, one day after basketball, he said, you know, what if we could do what Mint did for for uh, personal finance for the personal growth or wellness space? Right. And so immediately I knew what he was talking about. And we dug into the whole neuroscience world. We'd signed up a bunch of neuroscientists that had been studying 
sort of what makes people tick, what makes people perform. And the more I realized, uh, the more we spent in that space, the more I realized there wasn't really a whole lot of innovation that was going to the consumer around brain health. And that's really what led to it. Right. And so what does it do? Does it, you know, do I put on a little helmet, like a metal helmet and with antennas on it? And no, we're, we're staying away from the hardware. <laughs> a lot of people doing the helmet thing. You know, Really? Yeah, a lot of people doing the helmet thing or variations on the helmet thing. We're basically looking at the interventions that uh, neuroscientists and behavioral scientists have, have done in their labs and have seen efficacy in the labs. And we're trying to translate those using great design into something that consumers can use. So it's exercises uh, like meditation. It's uh, cognitive behavioral therapy games. It's things that are they're examples of uh, – uh, interventions that really have worked in the lab, and we're trying to figure out if they'd work directly to the consumer. And in most cases, they are. That's great. And so, I, like, how do you like? What do you do to test that? Right. So you you got this idea, you put it on paper. You're like, oh, this is great. You just call a neuroscientist, or like, what? You know, what are, what were some of the early steps you had to take? To we sort hacked of innovation a little bit. We hacked a little bit. Uh, the way we did, we acquired a company. Uh, we acquired a company that had a bunch of. Uh, mobile apps and uh, psychology-based apps, some of which worked, some of which did not work, but all of which were based on some sort of scientific reference. Right. Um, and so from there, we met the entire community, really, that of, of scientists focused on wellness or focused on psychological fitness, mostly positive psychologists or neuroscientists. And from there, uh, we, we built on that base. We partnered with folks like Stanford that have a behavior change mm-hmm. lab that are doing really interesting things around that. And uh, and learned and built some apps that uh, we put in front of the consumer. We learned from that, and you know, here we are now. Robert, didn't you study social psychology or something crazy? I did. Um, I'm actually a sociologist. So oh, really? A okay. little bit of a behavioral science. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, is there a reason why you uh, <coughs> particularly like sought this kind of you know venture out? Like, just because I thought that. You know, technologies being applied to uh, and specifically understanding behavioral economics in the advertising world, mm-hmm. um, I felt like there was a better place to apply some of those strengths, um, both on the technology side and the behavior change side. And I mm-hmm. did not see enough technology happening in the whole behavioral health world. And I felt like that was, uh, that didn't make any sense. I felt like there should be just as many people that have focused on machine learning or artificial intelligence, applying that greatness to health as they are applying it to figuring out how to sell you stuff. Exactly. Let me ask you this. You know, I, this is one thing I kind of struggle with, right? Like when I look at innovation, a lot of people synonymize. Is that a, is that a, is that a word? Uh, synonymize. Sure. I'm going to I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> um, they synonymize technology with innovation. Right now, I know what synonymized me. <laughs> oh, see, I, yeah, I, that was a little bit of a teaser. It was like it was like yeah. a trailer for whatever thought I was coming up with. Yeah, um, but no, it does I mean for you or in your world? I know you invest in technology, but does technology necessarily mean innovation? Right, like if I if I innovate a process or when when I first when you first said sort of a fitness kind of thing, I think physical exercise, right? Yeah. And maybe yeah. there's innovation in techniques by which you know Sean T gives you gorgeous abs in 25 minutes. Right. Um, there's some innovation there. There is some science to it, but it's not necessarily the metal helmet with the antennas on it. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think you know, we talk about, at B-Life, we talk about uh, building the company on three 
principles. One is design, science, and technology. So we look at those three things and, and innovating in design, innovating in science, innovating in technology. You don't have to innovate if you're in either one of those spaces, but if you if you want to do something different, in our opinion, you do. Right. So design innovation for us means delivering assessments the normal way might be a Likert scale, look like a standardized test. Well, the future assessment, if you will, doesn't look like a normal test. It might involve voice. It might involve pick, picking pictures. It might involve some design innovation on a basic test question. Right. Right. So we think that – I actually think that there's more opportunity for innovation in design, actually, than there is in technology. Maybe that's because I'm closer to being a designer than I am a technologist nice. in terms of an actual developer. But That's yeah. great. Um, and then you fast forward, I think, right, to MoviePass. Did that, was that next? Yeah. Well, I started MoviePass. And, and can I like, have one? <laughs> yes, we'll get you a movie. Uh, he's serious. Okay. Uh, no, I'm dead serious. You heard it here first, yeah. folks. Yeah. Uh, so Podcasts are binding. There you go. This is a contract right here. Right. So I started uh, both MoviePass and BeLife uh, around the same time with co-founders. As I mentioned, I started BeLife with uh, my co-founder, Paul Campbell, and I started MoviePass with my co-founder, Stacy Spikes. Um and in, in MoviePass, we wanted to innovate as well. We wanted to innovate around the movie-going experience. It's been the same pretty much for 50 years. You mm-hmm. just go buy a ticket and go to the movie. So we wanted to figure out if there was a subscription model that could work in the theatrical window the same way there's been a subscription model in basically every other window of content. Right. Exactly. So we launched and, and uh, in an industry where uh, innovation is um, not as common, I would say the the – Theatrical business is not uh, as innovative as many other industries, and it needs it though. Mm-hmm. Like it, it needs it, it needs it desperately. <laughs> which was yeah. part of our our thesis, but it wasn't necessarily well received by everyone when we first launched. We had some pretty aggressive friction from some of the exhibitors that didn't quite understand what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We've since made friends with them, and they now do understand. And I think many of them are welcoming to innovate, welcoming innovation in general because right. they know they need it. That's great. That's awesome. So, uh, how like how do you measure performance in in terms of movie pass, right? It, and and also be life. Like, is it are you looking at downloads? Are you looking at like how people's lives are changed, right? You know, where movie pass is more of a convenience play um, versus be life, which is like I'm. I'm changing in some sort of way. Yeah, I'll start with movie ch- movie pass just because we were on that one. I think we are trying to build uh, the next Netflix, if you will, um, and it's for a, an entirely different uh, um, you know, window, obviously. So there's a lot of things that we have to innovate around in that process. We think there's some really interesting things to do where you're taking people from an offline subscription into something online. We think there's a lot to do with this, uh, you know, the, the the social network that's that's face to face and 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 building on some opportunity around social and movie going, mm-hmm. um, and the way we measure it is we want to be a very big uh, membership. We want right. to have millions of members one day that um, don't go to their movies a la carte, but go to their movies um, through a membership on a subscription basis. And again, with Movie Pass, you can spend one price per month and go. Pretty much every day, every 24 hours, you can go. So it's it's truly the first untethered movie going experience so, there is. And just to uh, explain to people who might not have like seen what Movie Pass is, could you explain like what the service is to them, and you know, kind of give them a little background on what they get to do from that pass? Yeah, I'll try to paint the picture because we innovated by necessity <clears throat> to build the product. 
So I'm not going to show because we're not on camera. But we, we, <laughs> I still want to see it though. Like okay, I, I've, I've seen, I've, no, on the website, I've seen, you know, it's, it's like a card, right? And I mean, it appears to be one. Yeah, it's it's an actual card that comes with your name on it, and it comes in a beautiful leather box. And um, is that a twenty? Uh, that's a twenty. <laughs> wow. There you go. I want to be an innovator. So the movie pass it comes with your name on it. Uh, pass it to you. It's just, it looks like a standard credit card, but it's bright red and mm-hmm. says your name and it says movie pass. Right. And when you un when you unbox that in your in your beautiful thank you beautiful leather box, then you um, authenticate that or you connect that to your uh, mobile device by opening up our app and putting in the last four digits of this this card number. Mm-hmm. And from that point on. This card and that phone are inextricably linked. Right. So this card is connected not only to the app but to the UID in your phone. Okay. The reason for that is we use location to authenticate that you are you when you're in that theater. Mm-hmm. So you go into the theater, uh, you're prompted to check in with the app. When you check in with the app, this card becomes live and you can use it to gain access to about 93% of the theaters in the country. Nice. Wow. Well, now what's up with the other seven? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we where are, are those? You may not want to go. <laughs> uh, well, Robert was asking earlier about the adult theaters and if he could use it. Yeah, there, you know, we're not. We're not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is at seven percent. That was an offline conversation. <laughs> well, you know, you say it, it, it could end up on the show. I didn't even know they had adult theaters anymore. <laughs> Ask Robert. I, I was yeah, all home I, uh, video. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know that part of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> personal. So, so then, uh, so movie pass sounds awesome, right? Uh, uh, definitely, like I'm, I showed it to my wife last night. We were like, "Perfect! Like this is amazing." Um, then you make your way to. Oh no, let me back up. Actually, because you said you launched these two things at the same time or yeah, around the same time. Around the same time, and you asked how I measure the success for for B Life. Right. That- no, but what I was gonna, I, what I was also going to ask, and just jumping around a little bit, yep. is. The, how do you do it? Like, how do you launch two companies simultaneously, right? Because, you know, I think a lot of people, especially up-and-comers, right, when they go like, oh, I got all these great ideas, yeah. they start actualizing. And then, then you know, the the saying is, if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. Oh, yeah. Um, or you start spreading yourself thin, you don't do anything well yeah. because you, you're juggling too many balls. Yes. Um, so I'm curious as to how do you see success on, on both of these things yeah. simultaneously? Well, well, time will tell whether I will ultimately be successful with both of these. I mean, they're still young companies. Right. I think it does start with having great co-founders. I definitely would not have done this had I not had great co-founders in both of them. There's no way I would have even attempted it. And I got a lot of advice against doing two companies when I started. And I listened to that advice, and some of it made sense to me. Some of it I felt like I wanted to go against the grain. I think um, – Today's uh, you know venture capital model and today's startup model uh, a lot different from uh, from when it was or how it was five years ago and I actually think that there's a lot more you can do um, sort of at the same time now than you could before. I think the key is figuring out uh, what learnings you can get that you can apply to both, right? And then what networks apply to both, and then obviously it all starts with people. And so having a great co-founder in both of these companies was the only way I would do it. What was the big? What was the one? If you remember, one piece of advice that you got that you were like, "Ooh, that's a, that one might be a good piece of advice." <laughs> yeah, um, I think I got some early advice that. Um, well, I was thinking at one stage that the, maybe the best way to do this was to actually form an incubator or to form a lab of some sort, right? And to do it all from under that one roof. And certainly, cosmetically, that's actually an easier story to tell to the outside because oh, I just have one deal. I just have many right. things under that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and but so th- then I got some good advice that said, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that have built distinct value in an incubator. Right. Um, you certainly had Idea Lab and and um, CMGI, uh, you know, in the in the early 2000 time period that had built a lot of value, getting ready to go public, and then the market shut down. But there's really been no one that has done that at scale and created value in the incubator. It's always been that the value has been created with the underlying companies. Right. So I decided to actually do separate companies. I mean, the other advice which I did take was I spent much more time, certainly in the early phases, with B-Life. I right. was co-CEO of B-Life. I was chairman, I still am chairman of um, of MoviePass. Now that I've started to invest and, and been working with Upfront Ventures as a venture partner, I have taken a chairman role in both of those companies. Right. That's great. Yeah. Which is a perfect segue. You're doing great. Uh, it's, it, it, as, in terms of investing, right, I just wrote a note that says, crappy idea, good team versus good idea, crappy team. You know, where do, where do you find the balance, right? Where you got to start with a great team. Right. Yeah, start with a great team. That's easy. What do you look for on, the, on those teams, right? Because, you know, is it if, I, if Robert and I have an idea, right, and we've bootstrapped up to point X uh, yeah. and another team has either done the same thing, like how do you make that distinctive decision, you know? Uh, intestinal fortitude, um, sort of communication capabilities, all those basic things. I shouldn't say they're all, they're all basic because I think a lot of people overlook the fact that if you partner with someone that doesn't have the stomach for a startup, then you're pretty much screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to make sure that that you have someone that uh, that's ready to go all the way, and that they're not going to be scared off by the first thing that that the first issue you have. Yeah. Right. Um, What's the other part of the question? <laughs> no, that was it. It was just kind of like what what are some of the you know when you when you are kind of like filtering through yeah. the opportunities that come your way because. I would imagine you see what a uh, hundred different ideas a week yeah, or a so, um, you know, and that's a tough filter because you may see somebody who's like completely likable and the idea. Like, do, do you want to? Oh, in terms of from an investment standpoint, yeah, definitely. Co- yeah, so from an investment standpoint, I think you know it's definitely still for me starts with the people, and it, it works out usually that the right people are going after the right markets. Right, right. It, not always the case, but. Um, Oftentimes it is. If the person has the right kind of experience, the right kind of perspective, um, they're going after a big market, right. um, and they're going to work with other great people, um, and they ever, themselves are going to be hopefully innovative. Sorry. Do you ever get no? It's Do you ever get hate mail from people that you've turned down, like people? No, I, <laughs> like, I mean, I'm still. I can't believe you. This is the best idea ever. It's like American Idol when the <laughs> when the yeah. contestants they don't know what they're talking about. I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> I, I've gotten some not so nice notes, but I've, I'm still new. I'm a couple months in right. from the investment standpoint. And because I've also, and I also sit on the entrepreneurial side, I think I have empathy. So sure. you know, when I do pass on something, I'm saying it in a respectful way. And I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to be encouraging and still trying to help folks. Right. Because um, it's hard out here. No, it's, it's, it, it, but the, also, the, the other thing is, I mean, you mentioned like five years ago, this business was completely different, right? Yeah. And I feel like there are hundreds of incubators. There's hundreds yeah. of people who are not in incubators who have ideas. There's, you know, all different ideas and products are coming from left, right, and center. Like, you just, it's hard to field. And also, you know, what the sustainability of that sort of influx of creativity and ideas and tools and 
everyday life fulfillment kind of things. Yeah. You know, how do how do you stay cuz you you actually schooled me pretty well when we were talking about honey. We had a little conversation about honey crystals and you know, I was thoroughly impressed by uh <laughs> By the way, I don't know if that Factually, was correct. no, but it was, <laughs> but it was, very, it was, it sounded good. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I left with a tear in my eye. Okay. But no, but it was, it was kind of like you have to know at least a, you know, a percentage of what these people are coming to you with idea wise. And we just to tell you, Robert, we had a conversation about um, uh, a guy I know who has some honey crystals. Like, as you, you put sugar packets in, in your coffee, he's mm-hmm. like honey crystals, and I mean, it was like. Hey, well, that doesn't even work. Like, and, he's, and he starts telling me about what honey looks like under a microscope and how it works and the scientific properties of it, which I thought was just really interesting from, you know, an entrepreneurial investor standpoint to be that well versed in something and, and be able to make a decision and use that in your sort of everyday you know, life. Yeah, I may have lucked up on that one because, I mean, I'm trying to stay focused on a couple themes, one of which is health and wellness. Right. Um, I p- sort of put the quantified self world in that. Um, and then the other theme I look at is uh, the whole collaborative consumption and shared economy space. And by default, I see a lot of disruptive entertainment related stuff. So those right. are the three areas, you know, disruptive entertainment stuff, collaborative consumption or shared economy, whatever you want to call it, and then health and wellness and quantified self. Right. So how, just backing up a little way back, um, how did this become your life? Right. Like what... You know, your dad's from Senegal. Like, was there something in your upbringing that was, you know, that kind of sparked who you are? I'm obviously who you are today. That kind of, you know, you're obviously like just super smart. I'm, you know. Oh, thank you. But but (laughs) but yeah, just like, how did you how did you get here as an individual? You know, I I, uh, probably like yourself. I've always been super curious. No, No, I've always been super curious about (laughs) stuff. And my dad, uh, my dad is a is an engineer, and I think. Always uh, an entrepreneur at heart. Never really was an entrepreneur, but um, he was much more of an academic uh, focused guy. But my brother and I both turned out to be entrepreneurs because we've been curious about stuff all our lives. So I've known since, I don't know, 13 or younger that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Um, started businesses very young. And it's it's to me, it, it all comes down to one thing. And this might be a common thing across all innovators, maybe even all people. And that's freedom. Right. And I feel like um, freedom is that 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 thing I value the most, and uh, being able to innovate or being able to uh, start companies or being able to build companies is to me part of the sort of it's the professional freedom that I think everyone at some level wants. Right. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this whole collaborative consumption world. Sure. And for those of you guys that don't know, that's the whole – the Lyfts of the world, the Ubers of the world, the Airbnbs of the world. They're inspiring a whole new group of entrepreneurs. And my argument is they were entrepreneurs all the time. They just didn't have right. a real infrastructure to make it work. Well, there's a, a woman we were talking about earlier who, speaking of collaborative consumption, basically highly professional, high-level executive – Left her, you know, her penthouse apartment in Dallas, and now is nomadic, as she calls it. Some would say homeless, but right. because, <laughs> but because of collaborative consumption, she can do this, right? She can go couch she, surf, she, and she couch surf, yeah. yeah, exactly. And she has, you know, she's developing clients and relationships all around the world, you know, and it's just become a lifestyle. And I feel like she's sort of at the apex of the possibility that's yes. there. Um, and just in terms of what that is, where do you see like 
that trend growing? Are, are there any other specific areas that you look at in collaborative consumption and go, ooh, that's going to be pretty awesome? You know, I was taking a lift the other day, a lift car, and, and the driver was telling me that he basically he doesn't have a normal job. Every He makes all of his money from Lyft, and he works at another company that does, I think it's called Wash.io, where he's, you know. Oh, yeah. This is a laundry spot. You know, laundry. Yeah. It's sort of collaborative consumption for laundry. Um, I think he does some Elance or some Odesk stuff. So he's figured out how to stitch together enough income through these other platforms to make a living. And right. he's completely free. When he wants to go offline, he flips a switch and he's offline. No one gets mad. No one says he should show up for work, et cetera. So I think there's a, a huge future in that. I think it's a future of work. I think it might solve a lot of these unemployment issues. Yeah, I think it's going to um, – it goes to a lot of uh, uh, principles that, uh, that I think humans uh, thrive on. I think people need autonomy in their life. They need freedom in their life, and right. I think to the extent these new platforms enable that, you'll have a lot more people doing it instead of going to normal nine-to-fives. You just gave me an idea. <laughs> get my TaskRabbit account going, my Fiverr account, go. and get all this stuff. There up. you go. Uh, make $75 a week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, that's awesome. And then, you know, are there any places that you look to specifically, right? Do you, I mean, if if you had to choose three events to go through throughout the year to, like, collectively see all the best stuff you know is that going to be ces or is it like a particular summit or networking kind of thing that you go to oh that's a good question i'm need i need some help from you on that no i i go to ces <laughs> i go to um i like south by southwest i think right. um just because it's a lot of fun good people like fun so it works nice. out i've never been but i'm supposed oh. to be on the panel this year oh, so yeah, i'm like i'm all excited go. now i'm like Ooh, you gotta go south you get a plus one Here I come. I, well no oh Oh. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, well, I'll, see, I'll see what I can do. Okay. <laughs> I like going to different stuff. I, I, I went, I've uh, been going a couple of years to Wisdom 2.0. What's that one? Which is sort of the future of wisdom. It, it's related to the stuff we're working on with Be Life, but very well attended by folks from Google and Facebook and you know people looking at sort of merging uh, old wisdoms with new wisdoms. Um, and, and there's a little bit of a technology thread um, there as well, but it was a totally different crowd. I like to stretch myself wherever possible. A lot of hugs in this crowd. Right. A lot of just a different type of vibe, almost more of a, a more of a hippie vibe. It's like um, an orphanage almost. It's like yeah, you're just yeah, going in. Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> just getting hugs and no, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I mean, I like those kinds of things too. I, I love to be able to pull different thinking from things I don't see every day. Exactly. Right? I want to be wowed in some way and take whatever that wow factor was right. and see, see and how. And be uncomfortable, right? right? Innovation comes from uncomfort in many cases. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, what is, speaking of discomfort, I mean, have you ever been in that situation? I've, immediately, I think of Shark Tank for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and like those moments feel so uncomfortable, right? When you're pitching and you've got a panel of people you need to, to talk to, you're rehearsed or you lose like what I, don't, I guess it's more like the art of the pitch right and, yeah. um, and kind of walk us through that just the art of the pitch in terms of me pitching or in terms of me either way because you've been on both sides right yeah. you've been on both sides and it helps by the way being on both sides. <laughs> yes well yeah. you're more people are on the asking side than on yeah. the offering side but um but I would love, you know, just kind of like what are, I don't know, what are what are some of the things you look for when either you are pitching, right? Like what are yeah. the, some of the points you want to hit, the passion points of whoever you're talking to, 
even if it's a cold room, right? You go into a cold room and you're like, okay, cool. And you, you have to you have to sort of navigate the conversation, the product features, whatever it is. Yeah. So, well, I mean, a, a big part of it, and I, I I have a greater appreciation for it now, being on the investor side, uh, or sort of being bo- on both the investor and the entrepreneurial side. You know, as an entrepreneur, I said I only want to take money from folks I would co-found a company with, and um, so you know now I'm trying to be that that guy on the investor right. side. I don't want people uh, feeling like above and beyond. I don't. I want people feeling like we're not developing a real relationship. And I think there are times where I'm on the entrepreneurial side where I'm thinking I just got to close on a financing. I close on a round, and I forget that it really you're going to have to live with the person for a long time. So it does make sense to really get to know them. And it sounds sure. a little cliche, but that's a really important part of, uh, of getting, getting things done. That's awesome. Um, upfront recently changed from GRP, right? Yep. Uh, why the name change? Do you know? Well, yeah, I do know. So a GRP partners stood for, uh, global retail partners, which is where the firm sort of had its initial roots in retail innovation. It's now doing a whole lot more than just retail innovation, but that's where it got started. It was actually the uh, retail investment banking practice out of DLJ that spun into this global retail partners. So GRP partners was actually kind of redundant because it was GRPP. Right. right? <laughs> it's so like that, an ATM machine. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that needed to get fixed. And then I think, you know, with, with the new, uh, more broader focus, I shouldn't say new, but a much more broad focus than just retail, it made sense to look for a new name. And, and um, upfront, I think, says it, says it all. It speaks to the personality of the firm. I think right. all of us want to be very upfront and try to be as upfront as possible. Um, we try to um, sort of, you know, it's the what you see, what you get type of feel to the right. firm. And that's really the way the culture of the firm is is growing up. So it's a new name. We're still, you know, growing into it, but we like it so far. That's great. And so they, there was an announcement at 500 Startups what, earlier this year. Yep. Um, along with the name change was a gigantic fund. I don't know how gigantic it was, but it, it was deemed the largest fund in L.A., which I think you started yep. off the interview. $200 million. $200 million. Yep. $200 uh, why? And what and what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Well, not even what it does mean, but what does that allow the organization to do as sort of the largest fund in L.A.? Well, I think the firm and, you know, my partner, Mark Suster, has been very aggressive in the ecosystem. And um, so he's already been doing that. I think, you know, having a large, fresh fund means you can do more of that, means you can, you know, hopefully get uh, more people from other parts of the world and country to to come here to start companies or to invest in companies. It just really means you're investing in the ecosystem. Um, We think there's something special to do here in L.A. in terms of company building and in terms of uh, what we uniquely at, you know, in L.A. are are good at doing. Um, And so we want to shine a light on that and and try to partner with some smart folks to do it. How do you feel about Silicon Beach? You know, I have friends that hate the term. I I don't mind the term at all. (laughs) I, I, I like it. I've actually made it work for me in some cases when I'm trying to recruit you know, engineers down right. here. It just it has. I'm sorry, a, did you say beach? I know exactly. <laughs> fun, little fun feel to you, it. You didn't say valley. You said beach. Yeah, I, I do understand why people don't like it because they don't like that we had to stick silicon in front of it. You know, just because it it feels like you're always going to be sort of second to you know Silicon Valley. Yeah. But well, now there's Silicon um, Alley, which is yeah. New York. So it's yeah. just getting it's all going downhill. And there's you're something like, in Silicon Brooklyn. basement. Do you hear about Brooklyn? There's something. Uh, 
I don't know, Dumbo so, is the only thing, okay. I, which is there's, a horrible acronym, by the way. Okay. But, uh, but no, there's one in Brooklyn, too? Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Maybe some of your listeners know. Um, I heard something recently in passing. There's a, another, uh, not Silicon We'll Alley, look it up. But yeah, we'll look it up. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, because there's just a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of awesome things coming out of, you know, Silicon Beach and, um, you know, even with the festivals and the events that are popping up. And I, I've just always been sort of impressed with what L.A. has become. Right. Um, it, it, it's had an interesting creative, tech, you know, creative trajectory. What yeah. do you see are the benefits of being in L.A. versus anywhere else, really? Yeah, yeah well, I you know, I think. Um, you know, this is arguably the creative capital of the world. I think the number of new brands that we build in Hollywood um, sort of dwarfs a lot of the the brands that or, or the efforts in, in other parts of the world. So I think there's some really strong creative skill sets that apply to software, that apply to consumer internet, that um, if they're paired with the right sort of um, engineering talent, can be amazing. I think so. Going back to the point around Silicon Beach. Anything that helps us get engineers here right. and keep them here is is good. And so I think um, you, you know part of innovation is design and creativity. Part of innovation is building and experimentation and testing. And so we have some of those skill sets um, uh, certainly on the design and creative side, but not as many on the engineering side. Right. Certainly not compared to what's happening in Silicon Valley. I think the culture for innovation around technology-driven startups is not as uh, as strong as it is up up north. So I think to the extent we do more of these kind of things, we can hopefully let people know that we're trying to do lots of experimentation and discovery, and, and we want to innovate down here. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a different vibe. Like it's, I think it's a more exploratory vibe, right? I, th- I think Silicon Valley, and I haven't spent much time there. But I feel like it's a little bit more business than it is the creative, and I think right. you need you need both. I could be absolutely wrong, but you know, um, I think there's there's definitely I, I know what you mean. I would say though that uh, you know when I spend time up there, I feel like the creative energy around company building is strong, um, and, and or, or I should say even the the creative energy around building amazing products is strong. Right even before building a company. And I'd say down here, that creative energy is much more um, focused on um, creative content projects. So I'd love for more of that creative product building right. um, to happen here and that innovation. And, you know, in Starbucks up there, I'm, I'm sure you've heard these Starbucks, you'll see people huddling around a laptop thinking about, you know, the next big thing and trying to build the next big right. thing. Down or here, listening you, to Innovation Crush. Or, yeah, hopefully listening to Innovation Crush. Or, you know, down here, they're huddling around a script and they're talking about a script and there's nothing wrong with that, but I just love for more folks to be, you know, innovating and building cool companies. Well, I'm interested in also saying, like, um, every year there's a creative economy report that comes out and it looks at the entire ecosystem of the creative industry. So film, television, art, you know, anything that is a little bit more ethereal and not like hard edged business. And it looks at like, OK, Paramount shot, you know, released six movies last year. Those movies gross this much. 
at these theaters. Those theaters just hired these employees. You know, those employees leave, live in these neighborhoods, and they do it for L.A. and Orange County. And when you look at the billions of dollars that the creative industry generates, I mean, you look at um, the big art exhibit, the Pacific uh, Pacific Time or something like that. Um, there was it was the first time L.A. had really done something across all of its art institutions. And huh. so you look at like what they grossed in ticket sales to what the parking company made, you know, for the events that were happening and taking place down to the cleaning crews is, right. is just really amazing. But now that we have this more, um, uh, just, just there's a lot more technology integration to the creative side of it. Right. And it's just a, a growing and bubbling thing. Um, I'm, it's just, it, I'm we, super curious about it. You mean we should try to do the same thing for technology oriented? I stuff, would or? think that they would start incorporating this, right? I would think that they they would start incorporating what's happening in the creative technology space because this this report is put out by Otis College and a couple of other institutions, and it's just really interesting that that's a great idea. It is, and Can I, we put a call to action out to your listeners right now. And hey, all email. Hey, yes, exactly. <laughs> there, you heard it here, folks. There we go. Call to action. Um, I know we don't have you for much more time, so I want to uh, ask you to fill in the blank on something. Okay. Innovation to me is? Freedom. Innovation to me is freedom. So you have to have freedom going into innovation. You have to be, you have to take down any preconceived ideas or constraints in an ideal sense to, to, to come up with an innovation. And then, to be in a in a position where you're fortunate enough to continually innovate is a form of freedom to me. That's awesome and true. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, how can people find you where you want them to find you? What's your What's your home address? Uh, exactly. <laughs> Damn, I almost slipped up. And came <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Damn. Um, uh, best way to find me, I guess, is on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I'm, I have a Twitter. I'm, I'm relatively new on Twitter in terms of being a contributor. I've been more of a lurker. Well, you're busy building other things better than Twitter. So my Twitter is uh, Hame Watt. Uh, so it's H-A-M-E-T-W-A-T-T. Um, and uh, that's probably the best way. All right. I will Twitter stalk you and you I will ghostwrite your tweets. You'll be like, I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get some followers. You know, it's, it's, I'm a new jacket, at, at, you know, in terms of uh, the out the outward part of it. But we'll make sure you get all all hooked up. Um, I want to thank you personally for. Uh, kind of, I don't you. know about Robert. He, I don't know how you feel over yeah, there. It was all right. <laughs> thank you both. Great thank you, you both. Great. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you, everybody. This has been another Innovation Crush. Thank you, Hame Watt, for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here. 
and it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.